Thank you for listening to Comics for Fun and Profit. This is Drew with a special episode of my other podcast that I co-host regularly. And uh, it's Weekly Comic Spotlight over at John Mayo's comic book page. And uh, for those of you who haven't heard it, I wanted to give you a chance to listen to it. It's a standard review show of uh, a Marvel, a DC, and an independent comic. Uh, each week. So uh, check this out. And if you like it, go over there and subscribe or check out uh, those those episodes. They're a lot of fun. So thanks again for listening. Um, here you go. Now starting us off in DC is Green Lanterns number 37. Uh, this is the uh, Simon Baz and Jessica, I forget her last name, but that, the one with those two. Cruz, all right. Sure, I think that's right. This story heads back to the planet Ungara, uh, which is having some unrest because of the natives and the recently ro- relocated, uh, what is it, molites or whatever. You know, two different species, one of which is just recently located to your planet. They're not getting along. Go figure. How much have you been reading this title? I believe the last I read was the last one we reviewed. Okay, so you're on and off this book. Yes. The last one we reviewed was at the beginning of the year, so that may have been like 20 issues ago. That sounds about right. They had a story arc where Simon and Jessica had to uh, evacuate a a planet that was about to explode, a la, you know, like the Krypton explosion sort of a thing. Apparently, planets aren't as stable in the DC Universe as one might imagine. And this race of the Molites is that race. So this is uh, a carryover kind of a thing from that story. And it was interesting because I thought the story was was read like something out of kind of classic Trek. You know, the 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 recently relocated Molites, their first generation of eggs is about to be born, but some some angry uh, uh, native uh, you know teenagers kind of trample hooligans. them. Hooligans, 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 great, yeah. The hooligans strike, and you know that's that's about to you know have the two uh, races go to war, and it, it to me it's. Yeah, you know, I, I really don't know that we need this kind of a story going on right now, but it, it's not the least bit surprising we have this sort of a story going on right now, given kind of the the growing, um, frankly, intolerance that we're seeing in society of you know people are different, therefore they're bad, sort of a thing. Um, so this this seems very uh, social commentary, and eh, that's that's fine. But the fact that it got to the point where it's like, yep. They've, they've solved this. Somebody took credit for killing somebody and we can just put this behind us. And somebody's like, no, nah, actually we can't. The guy didn't do the killing. Somebody else is doing it. There's this whole plot. And oh, by the way, I'm part of the conspirators. And I'm like, damn, this is kicking off a whole red tide arc or whatever. Cause red tides, the name of that, that group. And it's like, I am amazed how much time Simon and Jessica spend in space for green lanterns specifically assigned to earth. Yeah, really. I mean, that's that's supposed to be how Jordan and the the core, right? That's their job. Certainly, what I thought. We got Hal. We got uh, 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 Guy. We've got John. We've got um, one or two others uh, that could be be going around and stuff. It's like, come on, Kyle uh, uh, was the other one I, whose name I was forgetting for a moment. And poor Simon. Poor Simon's girl. You think thinks he's got a girlfriend, a nice hot girlfriend, and falling for her, and then oh. She's part of the conspiracy. Yeah. What are you going to do? Hate it when that happens. <laughs> I tell you. 
And wait a minute, is she also like a pop star of some sort, or some she's kind of not, entertainer? Not only his girlfriend, not only a major pop star of the planet, but also the daughter of the planetary leader. Interesting, and and, and part of the resistance, and part of the resistance. What are the yeah. odds? I mean, gotcha. And that's the kind of thing that, I mean, I get there's going to be a certain level of of coincidence or, or happenstance, or well, because of this, it would naturally lead to that sort of a deal. But when you've got, you know, one player that's in the story that's filling so many major roles in kind of the story and, and in that society, it's like, really? Come on. Um, and so, and so the, the hooligans also that they, they crushed these, these eggs and these alien mothers whose, whose eggs I believe they crushed the, the construct that Jessica comes up with to appease them is a bunch of baby projections babies of their race and and so then they're all little green babies that need to be taken care of and mothered so the mothers are distracted by the babies which i thought was i've never seen that before uh but but also super silly well you've got uh uh if, if you look at the captions that the ring had been giving for the last page or two all of these people that are attacking are females they're Various uh, uh, biology things are kind of kicked into overdrive. It was very much they were in protective mother mode. Yeah. And so that kind of made sense. And the constructs of, well, okay, let's give them kids to take care of kind of made sense. It, it made me think that Tim Seeley might might have uh, an expectant mother in his life <laughs> or something that has triggered this this story to be told. That That's my guess. <laughs> He's pulling that from real life uh, uh, hormones in his in his own life. <laughs> I was taking it as he was looking around and seeing, you know, the 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 Muslim bans that have been tried to be put in place, and the let's build the wall to keep the Mexicans out, and all this other stupidity going on, and said, okay, we've got this place, this planet that we've just put a new race on. Clearly, there's a a potential conflict there of they're not us. Let's let's get them kicked out, kind of a deal. And what would be the natural kind of opposition to that of, well, everybody is very protective of, of their kids. So whether he's gone through the, the protective mother thing, you know, recently or, or, or not, it's, it's an obvious story device, I think. And it, it worked. I'm not going to say it was, um, you know, wow, I thought that was amazing or anything kind of a deal, but you know, it, it kind of made sense. Um, but like these teenagers that trampled the eggs, they were a plot device. So much so that we never actually see them. And for the characters that are arguably motivating this entire story to never be seen, I, I thought was a little little odd. Yeah. Um, they weren't particularly necessary other than to have done what they did to motivate the story. So I don't think we missed much. But it was, to me, this was very much a plot-driven kind of a story. And, you know, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, there was a lot of plot and... A lot of things happening, and uh, I think the art's really strong, um, and and is uh, something that visually interesting to look at. And uh, I, I thought, you know, they did they did some fun stuff with the um, the aliens and the different, uh, you know, the stuff with uh, shoot, I've already lost what the name of the resistance is called. Red something. Red tide. Red tide. Yeah, um, I was thinking of red death and. And I don't know what what I'm thinking, but uh, yeah, there, there, there's some there's some cool stuff in here. Um, I, I'm I'm intrigued enough to to actually stick around for a little more. But I mean, I don't think it's uh, fantastic or anything, but it, it it 
did kind of grab me. There's some interesting things going on, and I do want to kind of see where this resistance goes. And I hope, hope it doesn't move at a snail's pace. This one didn't seem to, so I'm hoping um, uh, they they keep this action going and 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 move forward, and it's uh, it's continues to be fun. This this was pretty good. Yeah, for me, it was it was good, but not great. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It uh, it did what it needed to do. It didn't feel like it was just a filler issue or anything. It it moved some story stuff forward. It it gave uh, a little bit of uh, material for for Simon and Jessica to to show how they're like, how they're different, that kind of a deal. But it's also not one of those of oh my god, you've got to read this story either. So for me, I'm going to go with a, a B minus on this. I, I liked it. I thought it was good, but I have read better Green Lantern stories. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm at the same place. Um, and I I don't even read this title, so uh, it's not amazing. But I, there was enough here that I want to at least check out one more and um, see what where this thing goes with um, the resistance uh, group and and his girlfriend, which was that was kind of the the highlight of the thing for me um, was that that bit. Uh, and and we'll we'll see where it goes. I I can't imagine this being a a long time hold on my pull list, but uh, I am going to give it one more. Okay, so you're right there. You said with a B minus. Yes, also okay. B minus. Yes. Yeah, I'm I'm curious where this arc goes and if it marks the resolution of our time on this planet or if we're going to keep coming back to it every so often. Yeah. And uh, neither's a, a right or wrong choice. I'm just kind of curious where they go. Shall we move to our Marvel book, which is X Men Grand Design number one? Supersized. Yeah, this is a uh, 5.99 comic. It is um, attempting to recap and chronicle the history of the X-Men, um, which is which is no small feat. Um, the Using the watcher and the recorder as kind of a, a framing sequence narration device uh, made sense. Um, and also just kind of how the watcher said, yeah, I had to stop and think about this one for a bit to get it all straight in my mind before I was ready to record. But there were a couple of things about this that you just kind of got to... No going in, and, and it's going to color your opinions of this. First off, it's essentially like watching a biography channel show on the X-Men. You've got a constant narration. You've got snippets of what's happening at various points in time. Um, and really, it takes most of, not most of this, almost all of this, to kind of get up to the early, early days of the, the original five X-Men. Which, yeah, I thought that was a curious pace because this is a two-issue series and uh, we spent an awful lot of time in a time and an X-Men story origin that I had never read and I just knew bits and pieces from more recent origin stories. So, yeah, I was like, boy, this is really, really not touching on everything. And uh, so I'm curious as to what they jam into that next issue. Well, keep in mind that this is the first of three X-Men Grand Design titles. Oh, okay. So I, I thought it was just the one. Total of six issues. I'm expecting them to get in the next issue up to, but not including, the uh, the giant size X-Men where we get, you know, Wolverine, Colossus, and all those. So they're doing three two-issue series? That's my understanding, yes. Oh, okay. All right. So this would take us up through the original run of X-Men up until it went into reprints around issue, what, 67 or something? I, I forget when. Um, so I, I realized they had to spend a little bit of time kind of back in almost the golden age of Marvel setting the scene for certain things. And there were a couple of parts there that, that 
didn't sit well with me. Like the pack, uh, fact that uh, New York apparently was flooded for like two months or something. Like completely flooded. I don't mean it had a little bit of water. I mean like tops of skyscrapers are flooded. Yeah. Um, but apparently, you know, it took them a little bit, but they were able to get past that. So there's a lot of almost slideshow mentality of, oh, and about this point, you know, uh, Professor X is getting born. And over here, Cap and Wolverine are going and doing this or whatever. But there's also an in notes uh, to this, you know, with citations that kind of show, you know, additional reading, reading to expand upon what is glossed over very quickly. And it, I was really surprised to see how much it jumped around because it felt when I was reading it firmly rooted way back in the beginning. And, but there are there are like 2002 comics and. 2008 comics that are that are cited and pieces are pulled from now i i i don't know if these are reprinted stories um or not but they kind of bounce around all through the decades of various publications and comics well they kind of have to because like uh early on i think it's maybe what the third page even where we're getting Professor X uh, before he's been born. He's in the womb, and his mom's like, yep, it's going to be a boy. He's told me himself. And uh, people are like, yeah, okay. Um, But the fact that Professor X at that point was already intelligent, was already telepathic, all of that in the womb, had been established by, I think, Grant Morrison during the Cassandra Nova stories. And that would have been around 2000 or some such, or a little later. So a lot of why they had to go this far back is there's been so many flashback stories that, oh, yeah, well, this happened a generation ago, or this is how, you know, it led up to this, or this is how Magneto spent time during World War II or what have you. So the fact that the end notes kind of seem to, to, that appears to bounce around in time, whereas here we're getting everything presented in chronological order, um, it made sense. It worked. And I thought the end notes was a, a great way to, to kind of, oh, well, that's interesting. I want to learn more about that. Here's where I go without littering the, uh, the page with footnotes and, and whatnot. And it also kind of reinforced without me being able to actually check, <laughs> check all these citations, but it, it reinforced that, you know, that all these stories that were told, they all jive. The, you know, the continuity all works. Yeah. And and they they've been blended together in a story that that has has really kind of woven this through the sixties to to today, and it still kind of makes sense. Now, there's that's what this this creator is saying. Um, sense and there are can probably be made holes of it. Is we're the... only seeing what he provides. He is only providing his his version and pl- cherry picking what he wants to say. So. Um, there may be holes, but it's still, I think, uh, on the face of it, looks impressive that he is weaving these cohesive tales through such a long time span, span and using bits and pieces from throughout uh, the history. Well, and there's certainly some parts that indeed are getting glossed over. We see when Professor X encounters a young storm, uh, and around this time, a little later, I think she was encountering Black Panther which was really relevant around the time she married Black Panther and stuff, but in the totality of X-Men, probably not that big of a deal. It's not mentioned here at all, and this would have been the issue it should have been mentioned in. But I think a lot of it is you can take all of what's happened with the X-Men continuity, you can fit it together, and you can just kind of conveniently ignore the parts that fly in the face of everything else, 
and just just not bring them up. And there's so much happening in here um, that you really wouldn't miss many of those things unless they kind of jump out at you for whatever reason. Um, I will say that one of the other story, uh, or not story, but narrative techniques they used here um, was to make the art artificially look as if it is on newsprint with yellowing pages. Well, that that is Pisker's style. This is this is the same art style he uses in Hip Hop Family Tree. And I was curious about what your take would be on this on this version uh, of and, and this kind of art style, whether it appealed to you or even um, was something that you could uh, you could appreciate. Um, I get what they were trying to do with it. And if it continues this way up until like current day at the end of that last uh, issue of the last trilo- uh, miniseries of the trilogy, I believe it will. That would seem a little odd because at that point, this should be harkening back to Golden Age stuff, which was done in this style. Yeah. Newer stuff should not. So do they do they, they change up the look of the pages to reflect the printing style of the time the stories were set? Uh, all three volumes of Hip Hop Family Tree, um, they took place in different decades um, and progressed through the history of, of, of hip hop. And the art style maintained this this style that you're looking at here. Interesting. Throughout. So we'll see. Um, he, he, he hasn't so far that this is his style and he hasn't changed it. But I'll be, you know, maybe it makes sense what you're saying. We'll see if he does, does that. The place where it made the biggest difference to me was when we're getting the origin of the Shadow King. Um, again, shortly after Professor X has encountered uh, Young Storm, he encounters Shadow King and they have a, a battle on the psychic plane. And there are parts of that that have uh, white used as a color. And I say that because. Normally, it would just be, well, there's there's nothing there. It's the same page as the background of the page, but it's not because the background of the page is yellow. So the white really pops out in a way that it normally would not. Um, and it, it allows for it to be used uh, fairly effectively, but it also makes those panels really kind of seem a little crisper and clearer than a lot of the others where they're doing the uh, the yellowing pages, the the flatter colors that would have been appropriate for the time, a bit of the, the almost zip-a-tone kind of dot effect or whatnot, again, reflective of the, the period. There are th- those aspects which make this a little bit harder of a read visually, even though narratively it, it makes sense. I get what they're doing. I get why they're doing it. To, to be paying for, you know, a higher printing quality and them having it purposefully ratcheted it back is a little uh, frustrating. I mean, they could have maybe done this on uh, uh, actual newsprint or something and cut the price by a couple of bucks. Uh, for that many pages, I don't know. I'm pretty sure they could have. My point is, we're paying for a higher quality printing than we're getting because they're having to, to fudge it to make it look like lower quality printing. I guess. I guess. I mean, if, but we pay 4 and five ninety nine. For I'm not saying they actually would way lower less the price. Pages. I'm saying way they probably pages. could have lowered the price. They could have done it yeah. on cheaper printing. That's all I'm saying. Sure, sure. I mean, the fact that it's two-thirds of the way through before we're really even getting you know, Iceman, Angel, Cyclops, etc. was a little surprising, but again, it fit um, what we've seen before. And this is not the first time we've gotten this sort of let's piece everything together into a chronology uh, from Marvel. Matter of fact, they did a uh, series called, I think it was Marvel Saga, back in the 80s, uh, where they went through a lot of their early stuff, um, including some of these early days of the X-Men before they had fully formed. Um, 
And, you know, that's nice to have as a reference and the fact they were trying to tell, you know, an aspect of story during all of this was cool. But there are parts where this does feel a little unengaging because it's like watching a biography show. Um, and because they're telling so much in, in skimming over a lot of, of details. Because they have to. I mean, they've got a hell of a lot of history to cover here. Um, so, I mean, I liked what they were trying to do here. I liked that they seemed to have stitched together everything well without anything that reeked to me of just, oh my god, that's a major retcon, what were they thinking or something. And they didn't feel the need to correct things. It's just, let's present it in a chronological order and hit the highlights. Yeah, yeah. I found it, I found it, found it to be pretty uh, impressive in the research involved and the, the way he was able to, to weave this narrative through all these different creators takes over the, over the decades and showing this piece and this sliver and this new bit of information and kind of incorporating it into a narrative. I, I really thought that was cool. Um, a lot of this stuff was new to me. I didn't know all of those things having not been all in on the X-Men family. Um, for for very long, if at all, and so there's there's a lot of new information here for me, and it was presented in a in a really cool way. I mean, I'm I am a big fan of Hip Hop Family Tree already, and Ed Pisker's work there. That is the only other work of his that I've ever read, but I have read all three volumes. Um, I do appreciate uh, what he what he brings to the table, taking stuff that I kind of think I know some things about, and then and then taking another a new layer below that and and some backstory and showing me illuminating some things i may not have known to flesh out those stories and make them a little more interesting and a little more exciting and and to give me some more information i i really like like the way he does that i am um, i really appreciate this take on x-men and i feel like a like a more well-rounded actual x-men reader now well having read this and i'll I only thought there were two of these, but uh, I'll stick with this through the whole, all three volumes, because um, I, I really like what's being presented and how it's being presented. And I love the, I love the end notes and mm-hmm. the fact that I have, I'm able to chase down these originals. And in the day of comicsology, I can easily go pick and choose whatever I want and 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 check out that longer story that expands upon those maybe two or three panels that are that are there. But this is really fun. It's it's cool that they picked X Men to do this. I think that was the right choice, um, and it made sense for all this exhaust, exhaust, exhaustive research that he's done here. And um, I'm I'm trying to think if this would work with another character. I don't know if somebody like a Spider Man or somebody would work. I think this is kind of cool because it is such a a big team, and and so many things have happened, and with so many creators taking different different takes on it over the years. I. I I just really applaud the effort. I love the art art style, and um, and I hope it I hope it stays this way throughout. And um, I'm I'm looking forward to reading more. I think this was a, a really cool uh, comic, and uh, I I'm I'm proud. I, I I'm really glad that that Marvel uh, decided to do something like this because I think this is a a risky a risky move. Well, and Ed Pisker I think um, took a risk with this even after Marvel said, yeah, let's do it, because to do this issue, he had to pretty much read all of the X-Men stories ever done 
<laughs> it seems like it, yeah. Pull out everything that would have happened before the original X-Men number one and come up with that sensible timeline. Because this entire issue predates, I believe, the first uh, uh, the events that happened in the first issue of X-Men. Yeah. Because yeah, they haven't exactly. encountered Magneto yet. They haven't yeah. done, you know, any of that. So I'm curious if that made it an easier or harder issue to, to piece together the timeline of because you didn't have to figure out where did this happen in relation to the order the comics were published in. It's just when did they happen in relation to each other. Whereas finding a window to fit some other stuff into the middle of like the original X-Men run that gets referenced later by say New Mutants or X-Factor or X-Force or whatever. I don't know. Um, just the, the, Making the sense of the timeline had to be a fairly – one, doing the reading for all of it had to be a fairly time-consuming process. Yeah. And just taking the notes, figuring out the timeline, all of that. Yeah. This is one that I would like to see Ed Pisker do a uh, a book on the process of how he put this together. <laughs> yeah. I mean – and you know what? The editors – half the editors at Marvel uh, could take note on on how to understand the history of your characters – in a way that helps drive the stories forward and don't let uh, silly story mistakes happen. And you know, not just at Marvel, DC too, stuff happens. Oh, at DC everywhere. Too, but, but you know, this kind of, there's, there's a passion about this project mm-hmm. for Pisker here that I think really translates well. And you can see that uh, he has to care about the subject matter. Um, otherwise, why would you, how could you do this kind of work and dot the I's and cross the T's the way you have seemingly throughout this, this first issue? I mean, um, it, 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 you can't phone in something like this. There are too many moving parts from too many decades worth of comics to phone this. in. this has to be painstakingly done, I think. And I think, and I think it shows again, there are not only just the, the, the X-Men comics as reference, there is that Marvel saga that covers a lot of this same period. There's the various official handbooks of the Marvel Universe for, for some of it. Um, but there's also the official index of the Marvel comics, uh, various titles they've done, including the X-Men stuff, which gives a sense of, well, when was this character last seen and next seen? Where did this originate and stuff? I am hoping, though, that because this is more of a narrative than just a, a summary of events and text, that this becomes kind of the Bible for the history of the the, the X-Men at Marvel. If they've gone to this trouble and it do- doesn't become the gospel for this is what ha- is known to have happened in the past, sure, insert some new stuff or whatever, but for the love of God, let's try not to, to violate what is now the known history. Yeah, yeah, to my knowledge, yeah, all those things you mentioned are different slices. Um, so, yeah, this this would kind of pull this all under one roof, Perhaps, and if it's accepted by the Marvel editorial, then yeah, this could be a great reference for future creators and and editors to say, okay, you're kind of getting off track here, or you've you've kind of lost the thread of who this person is and who they were. And uh, yeah, I, I think that could that could help. That could help with some of the the continuity snafus that we've seen over the years. Um, maybe uh, we'll, we'll see how the end product turns out. And if it continues to be what I think is um, a well-researched and well-executed comic uh, throughout its uh, 
three volumes, which is really really cool. I I I wondered how they were going to squeeze it all into two. So that that makes <laughs> that makes me breathe that makes me breathe a little sigh of relief. And uh, yeah, I, I I really like this. I, I like I like the art style. I really like the storytelling. Um, I I didn't know a lot of this early X Men stuff, so it was new to me and presented in a way that that uh, I was able to enjoy. Uh, both as a reader and as um, appreciation with my appreciation for X Men and X Men and comics history and and stuff like that. So um, I thought they, they did a great job. I'm going to give it an a minus um, and uh, recommend it to anyone who's a, a Marvel fan, X Men fan. Um, if you're just coming from the fan of graphics world with the hip hop family tree, uh, X Ed Pisker work, I think you'll like it. You you don't have to know a lot about X-Men. I think you can still enjoy this for, for what it is a history of a long running superhero team. Well, I mean, you absolutely don't have to know the history of the X-Men. This is telling you the history of the X-Men. This is a great way to gain that knowledge. Yeah. It's a, it's a great way to, uh, to learn what you need to know to enjoy it going forward. Hopefully. Um, I'm actually going with a B minus. There were aspects of, and this is, I think nature of the beast for the kind of story he was telling. A ton of captions. It felt like I was being uh, narrated to because I, I I was. But there were some pages that were pretty dense. A few pages that were pretty light. But it, there is no great pacing to be had for this sort of a thing. The fact that it was cohesive in and of itself is fairly impressive. Complete with dealing with the well, is Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch the kids of Magneto or not? Currently, they're not. So we'll reflect it that way. Kind of a deal. Um, there's got to be a lot of those behind the scenes that had to get hammered out, but the faking of the the pages to make them look a bit aged or whatnot uh, made it visually a little harder to read than uh, I care for out of a modern printing technique. I'm certainly along for the ride. I'm excited to see kind of how this plays out over the next couple. Uh, I would imagine the second half of this is going to cover the original X-Men run, like I said, up to but not including... The, uh, the giant size X-Men where we get the new team and stuff. I would expect the next series to really go whole hog on essentially the Claremont era of, uh, yeah. the X-Men and stuff. Where would be the clean break for that into the third? I'm not so sure, but I would expect over the course of the next, uh, mini series that we start getting things like, uh, the new mutants, the fallen angels, uh, things of that sort. Probably after that in the final one. Well, I don't know. If you wait until the final one to get X-Force, X-Factor, and some of those things pulled in, that final one gets pretty busy. Yeah, and that's kind of what happened in the transition from Volume 2 and Volume 3 of Hip Hop Family Tree was, you know, there... You know, the first volume was firmly rooted in the 70s, early 80s, and the really old school hip hop acts. The second volume kind of went into more some of the things that uh, those of, of our age kind of recognize a little more easily. And then as it got it got into volume three, it kind of revisited and crossed back back and forth because there was a blending of those acts into the into the the next stage along with some of the new stuff. So they were blending back and forth and I, I didn't, I kind of like the line of demarcation uh, a little better from the volume one, to volume two transition. So I'm curious uh, how, how he handles that. If he has to kind of do that where, you know, there's actually not as much backstory. You've kind of already laid all that groundwork. And so now you're just kind of 
catching people up on what has this character done and what what has this team done and what 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 kind of things have they gotten into and and that's how how you approach it i'm i'm just curious for the ride and see where it goes well and to just to have written this this issue he would have had to have like i said read everything and figured everything out and then from there divided into the thirds where there were logical breakpoints yeah and he'd have to do all that work turn in his first script and hope he got greenlit for the other well, he wouldn't have done that before he got greenlit. <laughs> I would hope. Uh, like, hey, you know what? It just didn't work out. We're not, we're not going to do this. <laughs> if this was less than a year's worth of, of work to kind of do the reading, do the research, figure out the timeline, get the game plan together, I'd be surprised. because, And it may be that this next issue, the other half of this miniseries, may even have to go up to like the, the Death of Phoenix or whatever. Because... Once you get past kind of that point, past the Claremont run, you stop having, here's Uncanny X-Men. You start having Uncanny X-Men, X-Men, uh, all-new X-Men, all-star, Astonishing X-Men, X-Force, X-Factor, New Mutants, Fallen Angels. Um, I'm trying to think what other X-Titles they've used over the years. The output explodes the closer you get to the current day. Um, so the fact that out of... Six total issues, two for each of the trilogy, you know, we're one-sixth of the way through the X-Men history, and we haven't gotten to the first issue yet. Does have me a little concerned, but I'm trusting uh, Pisker has, has done his research, figured out a game plan, and um, that the explosion of titles and whatnot is compensated for by the fact that arcs start lasting six issues instead of an issue or two, um, and it all balances out somehow. Yeah, it's certainly ambitious, and um, I'm, I'm curious as to where it goes. I, I I think it'll be fun. I hope it does well enough that they decide to do another one, and if I were them, I would go with the Avengers next. Yeah, yeah there you go. That's another one. That's very ambitious. <laughs> and what a challenge that would be. But if they could get to where they had those things, I do think one of Marvel's strengths um, is that, for the most part, they haven't had any massive reboots or whatnot. They've had some significant retoolings in kind of uh, uh, isolated reboots and retoolings and whatnot. But you you can make a case viably, maybe even successfully, that the continuity started way back when with uh, the early stuff in the Golden Age still holds today with, with everything going through it. Obviously, some stories get kicked to the curb as they get, you know... Uh, tossed out of continuity by either a, a retcon or a better story. But you can't say that as much over at DC, even if you factor in in-story reboots like Crisis on Infinite Earths, Infinite Crisis, uh, Zero Hour, Flashpoint, etc. Because then you kind of hit, um, you know, j- y- y- there's too much instability of the history at DC to do this sort of a project. So Yeah, I, I just, I, I can't even imagine how you would try to pull that off at DC. There's been some... Some things that just don't jive anymore, so, yeah, it'd be, it'd be tough. Well, you'd have to read everything, and then you'd have to go to the powers that be and say, well, you which, know, I, I, I need a ruling. Which which way do you want it? What are, It would be decreeing the history versus recounting the history. Yeah. So, yeah. Shall we move on to our other title? Yeah. This is Quantum and Woody number one from Valiant. Um, how much Quantum and Woody have you read over the years? A few volumes. Um I'm trying to think if I skipped any or not. I, I, it's, it's just, it seems like it's been gone a while. 
since the last time I, I read a Quantum and Woody, but um, it's possible that they snuck one in there and I missed it. I was going to say, I thought they had one just a couple of years ago. Okay, that's a long time in comics world. Uh, okay, fair enough for a property that goes back 20 years. Um, you know, it's, yeah. Uh, what I, I've got mixed feelings about Quantum and Woody because some runs I've really liked, some not so much. This references a lot of the different runs, at least tangentially and whatnot. But I also appreciated how this did not expect you to have, you know, a PhD in their history because they give you a pretty good sense early on the relationship between Eric and Woody and their status quo, where they're at currently, why they're current, you know, kind of where they're at. Um, and just the, the natural friction between these two. But, you know, even as they're doing all of that, there were still one or two places where I'm looking at this and I'm like, I'm confused. We hit the one year later, and, you know, uh, Eric is waiting for Woody to show up. Because they've got these power bands that if they don't knock them together once uh, uh, a day, every 24 hours, they'll, like, discorporate or bad things will happen. Hell, I forget exactly what bad thing, but anyways. Um, and so he's waiting for, for Woody to show up, and Woody shows up, and he's like, you're not even going to comment on the new mustache. Like, dude, he saw you yesterday. I know this. He had to see you yesterday because y'all are still here. If he hadn't, you wouldn't be. So there are points where they go for the humor that kind of flies in the face of, of the the plot of the story, if you know what I mean, or the premise of the story even. Yeah, I was kind of thinking this new interpretation, maybe it wasn't a daily thing, the way it was kind of – it looked like some time had passed and maybe they didn't have to get together every day anymore. And I thought, oh, that's that's interesting. That that, that makes it they, – they, they're less close then. Do you have the print and, or digital copy? Digital. Uh, go go to the beginning. You see that title page where it says Quantum and Woody, the whole white page? Now they must clang their wristbands together every 24 hours or else they'll be pulled apart by the quantum forces that empower them. Oh, yeah, there it is. There it is. I thought that was the uh, publishing stuff that they, they slip on there. It's very tiny on my PDF review copy. Mm, I can imagine. But uh, that's that's the premise line or... You know, one could argue the previously on for a new title. Um, yeah. Now, has Kimball Smith uh, been involved before? Nope. Um, He's new. And, and this this Kano guy who's doing the art, uh, K-A-N-O, I, I'm not familiar with his work, but he has a David Aha, Steve Lieber style to him. And that that's visually humorous and do some fun stuff with inset panels and... Uh, some really kind of inventive ways to communicate the story and 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 make it a, a make the visuals work as much as, as some of the writing uh, from a humor standpoint and I think uh, that's cool when they can they can get to that level of a of a David aha or Steve Lieber and and it, it it was really strong I thought the art was really strong and I think uh, Kibble Smith is is pretty good I, I it felt authentic to me from from years past, volumes past, and uh, had the humor front and center, and uh, it, it it felt kind of like some of those other volumes, and but not exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think Kibble Smith did a good job understanding the nature of the property, uh, writing it in that tone and style without feeling like he was aping a previous writer. He put his own spin on some stuff. Um, he's a, a writer for the late show with Stephen Colbert. Um, and, uh, 
Kano, or Kano, however you pronounce it, I think has also done some stuff on Daredevil and some other stuff. I don't know what other comics Kibblesmith has written, um, but I didn't see anything that, that reeked of, of rookie mistakes or anything. And I liked how this introduction of, of Negative One um, is kind of putting uh, Woody on a, a not-so-good path. Not that he really needs any help with that. That's his natural uh, inclination in life, I think. But again, it, it goes towards... This is not so much a, a, a property where you need to introduce a villain, because most of the friction comes from Quantum and Woody themselves and their button heads, because they are such different people. Yeah. Yeah, and, and he revisited some of the things um, with the the dad that kind of preferred one over the other, at least uh, on the on the surface, and they, that that was heavy in a previous volume. And I'm glad to see them touch on that. And the goat makes an appearance, and so there's hmm. something here for kind of all the fans of the series over the t- over the time. They didn't haven't really forgotten that and totally revamped it like that Archer and Armstrong volume that they they did not so long ago. Um, and I, I think this works a lot, a lot better because of that, because it kind of feels like it fits in, in the series and, and, but it actually is, uh, I think it also has its own style art wise and, uh, it, it feels, it feels like it should have uh, always been published at Valiant and shouldn't have been gone so long. I like how, again, they reference the past history. They've moved on from it, but they're still kind of sort of spiritually bound to it. Um, and I think uh, the potential of having uh, Woody's dad show up um, could put a very interesting spin on the whole two kids vying for the attention of their father. The father's passed away, but now potentially we've got a new father figure waiting in the wings. Um, there's a lot of, of uh, story potential, character potential there. And this is a property that, while you need to have good plots, it's got to be character-driven. That is the nature of this this uh, this property. And I think they're yeah. moving on the right uh, footing with that. I'm, I'm curious where they go. Sometimes this series, uh, this property works better for me than other times. I thought this was a good first issue for it. I thought it kicked it off, uh, giving us the, the status quo of what's going on. And uh, I felt it would be a good introduction for new readers if they were unfamiliar with the property. And it didn't get hung up on storytelling conventions of the past uh, in favor of this creative team kind of doing what they felt was the way they wanted to do it. Yeah, I think you're right. This this has enough for a new reader to come in cold and uh, and, and also to be an introduction for a reintroduction for for folks who were fans of the previous volumes, I think I think it did a really good job. Um, and I'm hoping this is a sign of of positive things to come from Valiant. Um, last couple of months, they seem to have dwindled their output, and last several years, they seem to kind of take a long time to get a slate of books going with any kind of momentum. And I and I, it it feels like you know it's just, it's just they have this big this big tugboat that it just takes their them a while to get from decision to publish to a finished product out. And by the time they do like with a, in, in the case of something like faith, uh, it, you know, the, the momentum and the excitement for the title was, has waned or is gone. So I'm hoping they can kind of, this is a, a signal of them getting back to, okay, let's publish our characters that people know 
and and will come and and buy and and retailers will will give us a little shelf space for and let's try to build our stable of books back up again because I, I think there were only four or five in the last couple of months that that are that are even cracking the top 300. Well, what's on the top 300 and what they're coming out with not the same thing obviously. Um obviously. I think part of their problem is they seem to have limited them themselves to around eight titles a month. I'd have to go count exactly how many. I feel they've been reasonably consistent with that. Now, I'd have to, again, go count to find out if they really have been consistent with that. But the crux of the problem, to me, isn't that they need to rebuild their line or anything like that. But let's say it's eight titles a month. The, the story they're trying to tell is more like 14 titles a month. So that means certain properties kind of get kicked on the back burner while somebody else gets their slot. Okay, let's take uh, Ninjak out for a little bit so we can go do a little with uh, Quantum Woody or Archer and Armstrong or the Harbingers or, uh, you know, Time Walker or Eternal Warrior or Bloodshot and Exo usually are out there. But you throw in Divinity, you throw in um, some of these other uh, titles that are more miniseries based. And yeah, you get to that point where that story that's coming out now that new volume of something is referencing something that that quote-unquote just happened but it was like a year and a half two years ago so that that kills kind of their their overall momentum even though their individual titles i think are, are are solid i think they're well done but to me this isn't any sign of a, a fix for that to to fix that they either need to scale back their vision to what they can actually come out with or expand what they're coming out with to fit their vision yeah, I think if you, I mean if you look at them historically over the 25 30 years they've been around, I can't remember. Um well, this company hasn't been around that long. Right. The properties they own, I guess. The properties they own have been around since 92. Yeah, so if you if you maybe take some of those and and you've got I think you got Exo going on right now, uh Ninjax going on right now. Do they have a They have a Bloodshot title. Do they have a Bloodshot title? Is it Okay, sometimes they don't. It seems like, and so it'd be, yeah, if, if they can get back to that, put out an, an Archer and Armstrong that has the same sensibility of the Archer and Armstrong that we bought in the past. Um, maybe they can right the ship a little bit. I think the ship is has, was ha, has been having some problems, um, and uh, having I'm not a I'm not an all in valiant person. I'm I'm not into their shared universe, so I just like the titles that I like. So. Uh, that that would be different for some you know folks that enjoy that shared universe aspect. They might be getting a lot more out of it than I am. Well, um, no, I, I, my point is I don't think they are, and I but I don't think it's a matter of writing the ship, but getting the right ship. It's a matter yeah. of what they've got as a vehicle in terms of how many things they can come out with and what they're trying to use it for just doesn't fit. Yeah, they had some fun little mini series that came out that I enjoyed. Four or five issue miniseries, but I didn't realize that them greenlighting those miniseries meant, well, then this, these books have to go on the shelf for a while because there's only so much uh, from the economic standpoints that they can publish every month. So I didn't realize that at the time until I noticed, oh, these titles are gone, so that you can you know publish this generation. X or whatever it was. I can't remember what that wing was called. Uh, was I, it Generation I, Zero or um, Yeah, yeah, that one. And there was one about the kid on the island. Mm-hmm. That was fun. That was a fun oh, little That was mini-series. a lot of fun, yeah. There's been yeah. Britannia, there's been Divinity, now there's Eternity, there's Ninjax, sometimes they do a punk mambo, yeah. sometimes they do a Shadow Man. 
They've so some of them are interesting. They just, but then they derail other things that maybe should, they shouldn't go, they shouldn't lose them because the, if they lose momentum, it's tough to start them back up again. You know, it's one thing if they basically said, okay, we've got eight slots. We'll say two of them are going to be anchor with, you know, bloodshot or exo, whatever. But you've got some rotating ones. And if you've got something in a slot and it's saying, okay, we're going to go for eight issues and then pause or six or whatever. When it comes back, don't necessarily have it come back in that same kind of publishing slot. Have it do one that's offset to where you don't have to wait for a full four-issue miniseries of Divinity, uh, Divinity or Eternity or, you know, whatever these other ones are to finish. Let it go like three months or two or something and fill in another slot to where it's not as obvious, well, this track is either A or it's B, and then we're flipping between. And I'm not saying it's clearly that way. Again, I'd have to go through their publishing history of late just to see how many slots they really have and if it's very much a title A comes out and B comes in, B comes out, A comes back, or or C rotates in or whatever. But when you go from setting up things in the, the Bloodshot Harbinger War stuff early on and it takes two years to get the, the, the young kids to have their own book for a couple issues or, you know, yeah. eight months or whatever. Yeah. You could, a gap of time, fine. More than about four months, not so much. Uh, yeah, yeah. Two I years, forget it. Yeah, and I think, you know, they, they do some things. With, I think they had like a 4,000 AD sub storyline going on with some of their books, but not all of them. And I, I skipped that entirely. And so I'm, I, I don't know if that, made sense to kind of derail the i don't know i mean they're trying things you know they're they're doing some inventive stuff with with variant covers and second printing print runs and things like that that are fun and unique and kind of trend setting so that's kind of cool and and i i want them to keep trying to experiment and invent but also i don't want to lose momentum it'd be nice to see them have some stable titles that could stay in above ten thousand uh, a month be nice but i think the way to do that is not have such long breaks on the properties yeah definitely so they they've got to work at it they've they've got their work cut out for them but i think they've got quality material that if they can figure out kind of how not to to kill their own story momentum they can they can do much better than they are doing yeah i'm I, yeah i'm not sure what what the fix is um they've they've tried not tried a lot of things and um I, it, I don't know. I don't know how to how they can how they can write that ship. I, I think I think the ship has, has some some problems, some leaks. Well, that's my point. Is is I think they've got too small of a ship. Yeah, and and economically, maybe that's all they can afford to put out. I mean, if they were to come back with a Unity series right now, a lot of people would. What the hell's Unity? Oh, because it's been long enough since that came out. Yeah, and yeah. that goes back to it's not that they've got to write the ship, but they've got to get the right ship or deal with the ship they've got and get to the right capacity. But to your point, you know, the stuff that they put out, a lot of it is, is good. Um, and take in point this quantum and Woody. Mm-hmm. I think, I think this is a really strong first issue of, of course it's a volume of a, of a, of a series that I'm familiar with and I've read before. So I, I don't feel, uh, I, I kind of knew what I was getting when I was going in there, but it, they did, they did a lot of fun stuff with it. Um, I like the art style. I like the writing, and I, I would definitely recommend this to, for people to check out and see. I'm gonna, it's something that I'm going to continue to support, and uh, I give it a B plus, and uh, I hope others others give it a shot. Yeah, I'm going with a B on it. I'm also curious what else Kibblesmith has done. Um, he did a, a good job on the writing. 
Um, and for uh, somebody that, you know, given he's worked for The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, I think they would have mentioned that on whatever else he's done and wherever he's done it. Not having seen that, I'm assuming it's his first thing. Not making a lot of what I would consider major rookie mistakes that are fairly common was nice. So Yes, definitely. Did, did a good job. Thanks for listening to John Mayo and I review a DC, a Marvel, and a other publisher's book. We do that each and every week. If you enjoyed that, and uh, check back here. And you can also check out John's podcast, The Weekly Comic Spotlight. Check him out at the uh, the comic book page website. Thank you guys for listening. Drew signing off.